overcoming adversity Doing it at all costs, making wins are all lost Yeah, the world is all lost, all lost, yeah Ain't no turning back, we headed straight for the stars, yeah Oh yeah, we overcoming adversity Doing it at all costs, making wins are all lost Yeah, the world is all lost, all lost, yeah Ain't no turning back, we headed straight for the stars, yeah Oh yeah when we go real deep into some tough conversations, real life stories about challenges and obstacles that we do face, that leads to transformation of growth and being resilient. It's all about breaking the bottle with the things that we face and things that we do bottle in. Before we get started, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. I'm your host, Michael Allison. Today on the show, I got my brother from over 10 years of relationship. And um, I'm so honored to have him here on the platform. Mr. King Smith, he uh, Air Force veteran, finding CEO of the actual King Smith podcast. He's also a businessman in multiple different adventures, super talented. He's a sports enthusiast. He's a single dad to a beautiful daughter. You can find him on social media at I am actual King Smith. Let's welcome to the show my brother, Mr. King Smith. Hey, man, someone does a little bit of their homework, brother, and glad to be here. I didn't realize that it's been that long. Ten yeah, years. man, over 10 years, bro, because, you know, you had uh, text me the other day. You said, when I was reading my book, you said, uh, hey, man, I see the year you put down here, man. I was like, yeah, it's 10 years now. Time <laughs> uh, flies, man. I appreciate you for having me. Man, I'm so honored to have you here, brother, man. Uh, I truly uh, honor our relationship and respect it, bro. Uh, you, you even, like... Wanted to keep the group accountable after we um, left uh, D.C. And I thought that was pretty admirable. Like, like you truly value, like, all of our friendships. You know what I'm saying? People move away, all this other stuff, and, um, you know, they just disappear or whatever. But you stayed uh, connected with me, with Dom, Mike, Damon. And um, I truly, truly appreciate that, bro. Yes, sir. <clears throat> yeah, man. So, like, you know, I truly uh, applaud you, bro. Like, like I read, I... Uh, read from your bio a little bit, you know, you being a uh, single dad, you being a veteran, and now being a successful podcaster and a business guy, but I know that that story had to start somewhere, man. So if you would, let's jump into it, man. Tell me a little about yourself, your background, and um, what shaped your life to where you're at now today. Okay, so in order to do that, I kind of have to go back into teenage me, right? So teenage me, I was big into sports. I'm only 5'8". I got up to 5'8 in like ninth grade and just stopped. But I was pretty talented in football. But I didn't realize that because my first time playing a team sport was my sophomore year in high school. And I was able to get a starting spot by doing a flip over the line. One of my coaches had heard that I knew a little bit of gymnastics and made a bet. He said, hey, if you can flip over the line in practice, I'll get you into the starting fullback spot. What sucked for me is I never grew up playing sports. Everybody else around me and my peers, they had been playing since Pee Wee. My parents really weren't into sports like that. My dad's an Army veteran, and we traveled a lot. And it wasn't until one of my uncles was, like, talking to me and my brother and said, you know, y'all young men should be doing something like sports. I tried basketball, sucked at it. <laughs> I made the pivot over to football when I started seeing all of my peers wearing their jerseys and seeming like they were getting all the girls, you know, but I didn't know how to carry a football. I didn't know any football terms or anything like that. 
but I picked it up pretty quick. I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the strongest, but my uncle that got me in the plan, he instilled hard work in me saying, hey, if anything, outwork everybody that is, you know, more talented, more faster, more stronger. And something about that stuck. And playing football from 10th through 12th grade year, I ended up being pretty good, won some awards. Our team didn't necessarily go all of the way, but that got me to really liking team sports, uh, trying to achieve something for a common goal with somebody to your left and to your right. Post high school, I didn't get any scholarship offers in places that I wanted to go to. And I enlisted into the Air Force right after high school. It was a pretty smart decision for me. It allowed me to be able to travel all over the world, 20-something plus different countries, learn different cultures, open my eyes to things that I likely wouldn't have learned without the military and having the opportunity to just not only travel to these different places, but when you're in the service, you also work with people from different parts of the U.S. and stuff as well. So that's kind of where I started. I met my ex-wife when I was in the service. Actually, I had known her since high school. Her and I have a child together. And you can fast forward to now, but the, the backbone of who I am and the things that I love to do comes from team sports, group activities, and things like that. Nice. Thank you for sharing that, bro. Did you ever think that um, once you started getting into sports and team sports, did you ever think that potentially that uh, I could make it to uh, the NFL or something like that? You know, I had my uncle to thank for a lot of the the things that I have now. So my father is in my life, yet he wasn't really interested in doing the things that I was interested in. He was more in the church and on some of that stuff. And I'm like, dad, I don't need to hear the these, that was, and those. Like, you know, I'm trying to figure out this school stuff. I'm trying to figure out how to navigate high school as a young man. But my uncle came in after he got out of jail. He didn't have any kids, but he focused on me as his oldest nephew and my brother, who's about a year and a half younger than me. And it wasn't until my 12th grade year that I started kind of getting some traction from not just my uncle, but other people in the community like, hey, and my coach, there's a chance that you can do this after high school. Now, the pros was a totally different ball game. I did have a friend of mine whose dad played in the league and he would have me do homework and research. He's like, all right, take a look at other people that play your position. I was a running back. He said, how many other running backs are 5'8"? Of those who are 5'8", how fast are they? And I was nowhere near as fast as him. <laughs> so the pros was a bit out of reach, in my opinion. But definitely playing Division One football, I did have enough interest that I could have played. Now, starting is a different ball game. I, I, uh, I recall going on one visit with a defensive end that was 6'2", 280, and ran as fast as I did, 50 yards. That was like That's when I realized – College is a whole different level than high school. Right, right, right. So tell me a little bit about um, your mom and dad, bro. Um, what was that like growing up uh, for you? So my mother and my father um, have always been in my life. They were together for the most part up until I left 
high school. Now, my mom and my dad, so I'm the oldest of four. Mm-hmm. My the third young third youngest isn't my dad's, and the fourth youngest isn't even that dad's dad. So my mom had two other kids from somebody other than my father. And when it happened the first time, right, I was in third grade. My dad pulled me off to the side. He explained everything. But as an eight-year-old, you don't fully understand what's occurring. Mm -hmm. But my dad, he did the right thing. He said, I'm going to stick it out for you and your brother because y'all are my kids. And I'm thankful for that. As an adult now, for him to have stuck around, he still stayed married to my mom. And then when it happened the second time around, he's like, yep, my kids are grown. I'm out. I'm realizing what that meant for him, the sacrifices and stuff that he made for that. And now that I'm older, I can appreciate that and I'm thankful for it. But both my parents are good people, living life and things like that. And I still talk to both of them uh, to this day. Man, that's amazing. I uh, As you're telling me that, and I'm just thinking of it like to the guy that's hearing this story, you know, that's uh, commendable for your dad, bro, because like some people would not have uh, opted to do that. So, I don't like, think I, I could do it. You know what I'm saying? So like I applaud your dad for doing that. And you, I would say that that tells you how much your dad loves you, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah. That tells you how much your dad loves you and he's not going to... um be any of these things that fall to like a stigma of deadbeat dads or anything like that, man. So I think that's tremendously commendable, bro. Absolutely. All right. So I know that childhood was not peaches and cream, bro. So was there some adversities that you guys faced as kids um, that you could share? I know you said you had a couple of the siblings and things like that. So was there any um, challenges that you had to face as a kid that you could look back now in your life and be like, that was an extremely important life lesson that I could take away now? You know, there's a couple of different things, man. For example, my dad was in the army, but when he got out, I didn't realize how poor we were. (laughs) I can recall times of, you know, eating like the same meal four times a day, having to heat the water up over the over a gas stove because we just didn't have hot water like that and taking baths in like a bucket because, you know, we didn't have like a regular restroom, essentially. I can remember this stuff. And it seemed like it was so long ago in such a different time that, you know, as kids, understanding that my parents had to do what they had to do makes me thankful for where I'm at now. I also can recall growing up in high school, I got bullied in elementary school and somewhat through middle school because I wasn't somebody that would take up for itself. I have a vivid memory of one of my female cousins in fifth grade stepping up for me and stopping me from getting my ass whooped to sit <laughs> and, 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 and And I'm like, you know, thinking about this, like, hold on, like, I'm a, you know, I'm a man. Like, I shouldn't have my female cousin stepping mm-hmm. in to fight my battles essentially you know but she stopped yeah. this this guy who was he was two years older than me you know so he's a little bit more developed i don't think i would have had uh 10 of any type of winning 
into that fight whatsoever. But around middle school is when I started to lift weights and focus on, you know, trying to get a little bit stronger because I didn't want people fighting battles for me. I've always been somebody, even to this day, I don't like confrontation. I'd rather not spend energy on something that's negative, something that's not going to bring value to me. And I, I recognize that I'm still somebody who actually avoids confrontation. I, I'd rather not deal with it. I don't run from confrontation the way that I used to, but I choose to make other decisions to avoid conflict. And when I think about it now as an adult, I did a lot of avoiding conflict as a kid growing up and never really had the tools to deal with conflict until I joined the Air Force. Okay, nice. Bro, um, thank you for being totally transparent about that, bro. Um, I have my own fair share of bullying, um, as you know, so I uh, that totally resonated with me. Yeah, but <laughs> hey, you were ready to pounce in a heartbeat. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, hey, I don't want no smoke. <laughs> Yo, man, um, you know, my mama... Um, she, uh, grew up tough and, um, she, uh, she, um, said to us, like, you better not ever let anybody put their hands on you. And, um, that stuck with me, man. Um, so win, lose, draw, whatever, but we, we going to be swinging, you know what I mean? And, uh, and that kind of like stuck with me until I matured and wisened up about like picking my battles. But, sure. um, at that, at that stage, um, that's what it was, man. But, uh, yeah. You know, in America today, though, man, um, it seems like this bullying thing has like, like spread now. Now it's the social media bullying, the cyber bullying, you want to call it. Um, so it's it's expanded more than just like what took place inside of a schoolhouse and stuff like that. So mm. there's tremendous other other influences out here too that's adding to that um, pressure. Mm-hmm. So man, um, I wanted to touch on this. So like. You've been through a, a good bit of things as a, as a from your childhood um, that I know that could have affected you mentally. So, what is like your approach now in life to like any setback that you face, and what are some strategies that you've put in place to like get through anything that you're currently dealing with now in life? Ooh, okay. So, I take a look at setbacks as temporary. Something somebody said to me when I was maybe nineteen or twenty was people have been living life way longer than I can imagine. And it's not like anything that's happened happening to me or something that I'm going through. I'm the only one going through it. And the way that it was explained to me by the person who said it to me, it just, it clicked. So now anytime I have a setback, I pretty much go online and I see who else has had this type of setback. And I try to read and glean some information from what happened with them. Or if I know that I have a family member or somebody close who I can reach out and call or contact, I'll reach out to them. I'll reach out to a mentor. I'm not afraid of being vulnerable now as an adult because what I've learned is that if you're vulnerable and you can talk about your setbacks early, you can put things in place and take action steps to keep that from happening and actually be able to make you a lot stronger faster than if you sit back, don't do anything, don't say anything, keep your mouth closed and allow whatever it is that sets you back to just build, build, build and potentially steamroll you. 
So what I do now is I speak up. I say something. I know I'm not the only one going through it. And I use my different platforms and I reach out to my peers, friends, mentors, whoever I can that I think can that can give me some insight. I'm quick to say, hey, I need help on something or this is what's going on. Do you have anything for me? Yeah, man. Uh, I think uh, reaching out for help makes you stronger. It doesn't make you weak. Um, yeah. You suffering your, by yourself makes you weak is, is uh, what I believe. Mm-hmm. I think that um, now you said you, you have like mentors, you have friends, you have resources. So now you have tools that are readily available for you to get you out of anything. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So like you, there's no excuses. There's no complaining about something because like readily you said, if I had to go to the internet, I could go to the internet and find the answers on this stuff. You know what I mean? So like everything is at our fingertips, but uh, I do think that, you know, it's commendable in regards to like you taking action and not taking and not being a person of not doing a, or taking inaction is what I'm trying to get at and say. So I applaud you for that. Um, <clears throat> as we all go along here, can you like discuss a moment in your life where you felt like empowered or inspired and um, you said like, I want to make an impact to people and I want to share my story and help these people based off what I've been in. Can you tell me uh time in your life about that? Oh man. So <laughs> I've got a couple, which one do I want to go with? So I started doing Audio-only podcast a little bit after my divorce. I was married in 2004, divorce, I think, 2019. And just before COVID, around 2020, I was looking for how to bounce back. And I found this one guy, Coach Greg Adams. He used to be a basketball coach, but he still does online content on YouTube and a podcast as well. And he had this thing called the Bounce Back Podcast. And in his 40s, or either upper thirties. He got divorced as well. And he was sharing his life and his story and listening to him made me go, okay, I'm kind of similar in that. So I started following him because he's also pretty funny in his delivery and the stuff that he's talked about. He, since we branded, but one of the things that he talked about was, Hey, I shared my story as I was trying to find something y'all out there who are listening to me, y'all can do the same. So before COVID even had people doing podcasts and stuff because folks were sitting inside of their house losing their minds. I had started just kind of sharing my story and I had this podcast called Reclaim Your Throne, where basically I was going to share my journey from where I was at to where I could be and hope that that inspired somebody. Well, I gotten an email from somebody from the UK who was listening to my episodes and had wondered why I had stopped. Now I made a pivot at some point and I went into a different direction, but this guy sent me an email and said, Hey, my name is such and such. I'm writing you from the UK just to let you know that your podcast reclaimed your throne really inspired me. I was going through something and it was something that you said about this subject that made me go, why am I still thinking about this? Why am I putting energy toward this thing that I don't have any control over? And that's one of the things that I say all of the time, very similar to the serenity prayer, focus on the things that you can control. Yes, stuff, that, stuff that is out of your hand, it, it, don't put resources there because you can't control it. So having that person write me, somebody from the UK, 
right? Outside of the U.S., which is where I live, that heard me talk, ramble into my microphones because my early stuff was, whew, it was rough. But I used my voice and getting that direct feedback from somebody through an email um, really made me feel good. And it said, hey, you know what? Because I wasn't getting a lot of plays through my podcast. I would get about maybe 20 or 30 clicks in a week. But one of those 20 or 30 clicks helped turn somebody else's life around. And um, that made me want to keep doing it and things like that. That's major, man. Um, I love the fact, bro, that um, as we started, you told you told me about your dad and your mom, and um, you had a bit of humor in regards to like of the situation. You know what I mean? And then uh, from your divorce, you like stepped into that, and you didn't like cradle. You know what I'm saying? You didn't like uh, like. Oh, oh my God, life is over, that sort of thing. And you said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I think about that because I, I usually been much more of a serious person and take things to heart and it would affect me and I would like bottle that stuff in and I would not share with nobody and I would not tell it to anybody and it would fester in my mind, fester in my brain and I really did not know how to handle that. And then I thought about what you had said about uh, divorce. So like, you know, I've been married twice and divorced twice. And um, the first one was, uh, the divorce was, I guess, amicable, but the child custody afterwards, bro, was ridiculous. You know mm. what I mean? For like uh, three years, it was crazy. So like, I harbored in a lot of resentment, man. And um, I had to learn how to like, about all this forgiveness, learn how to just move on with life learn how to just um, apply all these skills that I've learned and um, knowing that like this is an adversity, you're going to have to get through this and just keep on pushing and keep on moving. And that's exactly what I did. And, um, and I never let that hold me back. And it's crazy. But like once you start not even like paying attention to those types of things that um, like your life just completely goes in a different direction. Bingo. And now our relationship is completely amicable now. And like it's not even a big deal. And um, our son is uh, happy and it's cool. So I, uh, it's crazy how like life changes after like once these kids grow up too um, through a divorce, bro. Mm -hmm. With that being said, man, um, let's jump into some of these uh, topics here that I have for you, bro. Um, I know that you was previously married, and um, you're now a single dad. And I see that you're a girl dad, and um, you are loving on your daughter, bro. Like everything that she's doing, like you're posting it, you're sharing it. Um, She's singing and she's amazing. Thank so, you. man, if you can tell me your journey about like um, being a single dad now, um, being a divorced dad, and how is what challenges are you facing as, as you're navigating that as we speak today? Oh wow. Okay. So first of all, let me just throw this out there: the number one cause of divorce is marriage. <laughs> 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 I did not know going into it. You know, because I'm thinking it's going to be forever. It, what, what was interesting about that is when I really think about it, I didn't have a lot of positive examples of long lasting marriages mm. growing up either. Right. So as my marriage was coming to an end, I got lucky. I got lucky in that my ex-wife and I, we're very amicable now. We had our challenges. We didn't have a bad divorce. 
Whereas I think I would have had a huge chip on my shoulder if we had to get a lawyer involved. And in my opinion, I felt as though she was asking for more than what she needed or whatever. She was working. I was working. We didn't use a lawyer. We didn't use a mediator. We did the divorce ourselves. That right there, even though it was easier than other divorces, it still sucked, right? Because now I'm having to navigate going from two incomes down to one. It was me that was the bad spender as I was depressed towards the end of the marriage and didn't know it. And when you're depressed, Sometimes people don't understand you, you just, you make decisions or you spend money trying to find that happiness. Well, she saw that and couldn't quite understand how to get me out of my funk. I didn't understand how to get me out of my funk. I didn't realize I was depressed until after the divorce and I went and saw a therapist. It was a random time going into my primary care provider where, you know how they ask you questions and most people, I think, lie because they just want to get in for whatever it is that they're being seen about and then get out. Well, I decided to just be honest one time. And I guess the way that I answered the questions had a referral for me to uh, mental health. Mm-hmm. And in being honest and transparent, when I finally did see a therapist, that's, that's when I found out that I had simply clinical uh, depression. And it took several sessions with the therapist to kind of get myself out of the funk. Now, going back to my ex-wife and I being a single dad, my daughter's always been a shining light. She's also been a very easy kid to raise. I've never had any problems with her. Her mom's never had any problems with her. The only time I had to really spank her once was when she was like a three-year-old and she spit on me. Um, But outside of that, she's been uh, a kid that has made raising her easy. So it's allowed me and wanted me to do things for her. Now, she's my only kid. I only wanted one kid. Mm. And in my opinion, I think that that could have been a factor into why my ex-wife and I didn't last. I don't know this for certain. This is just my thoughts. But I knew that I could pour into her only having to focus on her. And whether me and her mom was still together or not, that was always kind of my mindset. So as she's doing things now, she's about to be 16 this year. She's got her own personality. She's having her friends and hanging out with her friends a lot more. I try to just take advantage of the times that her and I do spend together. Like one of the things that's just a her and I thing is we like to go to the bookstore. She'll read her mangas. I'll be working on some social media stuff or I'll grab a book myself, but that's our thing. Like she doesn't want to do that with her mom. She wants to do that with me, you know, and for as long as she wants to, like I don't schedule nothing on those days. It is, Hey, this is our time. If if we're going to do it cool, if she doesn't want to go, then that's okay too. But we're like 90% on keeping that up. And I've also continued to have conversations with her mom. We're not friends. I don't consider her mom and I friends, but we're cordial. 
Uh, about 80% of what we talk about pertains to our daughter. The other 20% may be some funny stuff that her and I would know. Like I know that she would find it funny or she knew she know that I'd find something funny. So we're we're cordial in that point, but I'm also I've also said I like treating people the way that they treat me. If she wanted to treat me like an asshole, then I wouldn't have anything to do with her. I keep the relationship strictly just about, you know, our daughter. But if she's friendly, then I can be friendly. Gotcha. Hey, man. Um, <laughs> I think it's cool that you and your daughter have that type of relationship, man. Um, usually you always hear this like daddy's little girl and that's what it sounds like. And I think that's totally cool. Um, I also wanted to uh, touch on something that you mentioned earlier, man. Um, I think it's um, extremely important to touch on this for our audience. You touched on the word depression. You touched on some things around finances and um, how you was managing your finances. So if you could tell me a little bit about like, um, what did depression look like for you? And um, what were what were like some of your coping mechanisms and things like that before you started like seeking help? Oh man, okay. So when things got a little bit rough, and I can recall when I was in a funk. That's the way that I would call it. It's like, man, I'm mm-hmm. just in a funk. I felt tired all the time. I felt tired. I felt unmotivated. I had an hour and forty five minute commute going into working back for about almost two years, that was a bit of a drain as well. So when I get home, like I wouldn't want to do anything. I'd want to just get on my couch, turn on the Xbox, play video games. That was my coping. That that was my escape. All right. I can escape from the real world. I can escape from responsibility going in there and cleaning up something or whatnot just by playing video games. I get do-overs in video games. And my ex-wife would come in and try to say, hey, let's go out and do something. Let's let's have a date. And so she you, had a, you, you guys were divorced and living together? Uh no, no, no. Like like uh, this is because the depression occurred while we were still married. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, okay, 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 okay. now now there was a period because <laughs> We didn't have the money at the time to like live separate. So while we were going through the divorce, I think we lived together about four months until the lease ended and she could get, you know, her own place. And I had to figure out where I was going to live. And since I was the primary reason for the debt, I carried most of the debt and I was making decent money, but it was still a struggle. I'm talking about paycheck to paycheck, selling plasma to, you know, try and make sure that my debts are paid. Do I file for bankruptcy to try to uh, ease the burden a bit, man? There were a lot of things that I had to consider financial wise. And to answer the question about, you know, being in while I was in the funk, being depressed, I just I felt unmotivated. And there wasn't anything that anybody could tell me that could have gotten me out of it. It just it took me being open to my primary care provider to kind of make that next step. But while I was in it, yeah, I'm spending money on things just to try to be happy, not for the family, but for me. It's like, well, I know what I like. I know what's going to give me temporary happiness 
And it did. It would give me temporary happiness. But then, you know, the root really wasn't being treated. So I'd go back to not making the best decisions and it was affecting everybody around me. Wow. Wow. Um, you know, mental health is extremely important to me, man. Um, I know that it could definitely take you to rock bottom. When you lose like your self-worth and that identity of a purpose, it could extremely take you um, south. Um, what I want to ask you, though, is um, how did that affect you when you was going through that funk, right? How did that affect um, you as a dad with your daughter? Um, did she see that or how did, or how did that uh, go? Um, with your um, ex at the same time too, um, did they were they supportive? Were they did they contribute to it? Like, how did you deal with that? So, in my opinion, my daughter likely didn't see it, and I've actually asked her this question, but she was too young, and she said, "No, nah, not that I can think of." But that was such a long time ago. I actually just asked her that question last week, <laughs> but so she didn't, in my opinion contribute to anything. Like I said, she was, she has been an easy kid to raise and I'm extremely thankful for that. As far as my ex-wife, see, that's tough because on one hand, part of me wants to go, okay, Hey, it's supposed to be through thick and thin. If I'm going through this, like she was supportive. She would ask me questions and things like that. And even uh, maybe about a year after the divorce, when I finally told her about being depressed and things like that, she said, yeah, I saw it. One of the things that she said that she thought was a shift in me was around May of 2013 when you and I were working and going through training together. I had a really close friend of mine pass away serving in the military. His airplane blew up. One of the airplanes that I had flown on, I got the paperwork wow. of me flying on that airplane his airplane blew up and I was at work when I found out the news. And this guy mm -hmm. I had just seen about a year or two prior. I went to go and visit him in Vegas. Him and his wife weren't necessarily on the best terms. And matter of fact, they were split up when I went to go visit him. And then on like my last two days there, she comes in. I had never met her before. She comes in. I'm laying on the couch. We are uh, a lot of alcohol from, being in Vegas and things like that. So we're just trying to recover and stuff. And in she walks in, like I said, she wasn't supposed to be there. They decided to work some things out. Her and I are good friends still through this day as I like to check in on her from time to time. But my ex-wife said that she noticed a change in me from hearing the news about my friend getting blown up in his aircraft and i i think that i agree with her that really affected me i had experienced death before one of my good friends when i was in okinawa she committed suicide she seemed to be a, a really happy go lucky person and she had invited me and my ex over for dinner that night she even called to confirm that we were still coming i said yep her husband was working at the gate checking IDs and stuff that day. I checked with him as well as I was coming into the gate. He said, oh yeah, if she's inviting y'all over, so be it. Then several hours later, as I'm going back home, I see a lot of cops, ambulance, and people from my work unit 
at this one location because they were within walking distance. I'm talking less than half a mile around the corner. And the young lady had hung herself. And it's one of those things. That Hold on a second. Quite, this was a woman that you just had dinner with. She was inviting us to dinner. I had okay. talked to her earlier that day. She had asked what I wanted. And I was like, uh-huh. uh, I, I love spaghetti. People that know me know that I love spaghetti. <laughs> I said, hey, if you want to make some uh, spaghetti, that's cool. If not, no big deal. But she was like, I got you. She was wow. a phenomenal person, man. I miss her to this day. But I had it, you know, so like, but that was my first time experiencing somebody that turned their TV off, so to speak. And um, to have my friend's airplane blow up, that was different. I, I, I can't explain it, but something about that really affected me and made me kind of question a lot of different things. Because he was just turning it, he was just turning things around too. He had made some not so great decisions, you know, growing up. I can't think of a person that's always made uh, amazing choices. Nobody's but perfect, was, but, Nobody's perfect. But he was really turning things around. And I saw that. I saw the change in him as he was turning things around and then boom, gone. Just like that. Wow. All right. So, bro, you've, uh, up to this point, man, you've, uh, been through a good bit and um you've experienced a lot your friend passed two friends that you share that have passed um you've, you've been through a divorce and um you, you had some experiences um with your parents and stuff that you had to go through how is it today that you are prioritizing like your mental health your emotional well-being um that includes as a single dad too so like how is king taking care of himself now First of all, I'm selfish. Let me just say that first and foremost. I take care of me first regardless. I don't give a damn about my kids. (laughs) I don't give a damn about other people. I start with me, okay? If I'm not good, I just, I tune other people out until I try to realize what's going on. Let me also be clear about something. Since I I made the decision after listening to the Bounce Back podcast, something about what Greg Adams said, it just, it clicked. And he said, you can wallow in how your life is now, or you can take steps, take actions to change it and see where you are five years from now, 10 years from now. And in the moment, you can't see it because you're here. You haven't taken that first step. So I said, okay, I took four days off and I created an action plan. I wrote it down. I said, okay, I want to do this by this. I want to do this by this. And I started working those steps. And what I noticed is that when I take care of me and I'm selfish, and then I work that plan, be a person of action, I started noticing things skyrocket. And just like you said earlier, instead of focusing on the negative things, being petty, because I can be petty. Instead of being petty and focusing on those things, I started focusing on things that would bring value to me and benefit me. And then by extension of that, I can then pour into others because I'm good. If I don't have it to give, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to give you the shirt off my back and then I'm cold. That's that's not how I operate. Other people can be that way and people can view me a certain type of way for saying that. That's fine. But I'm not going to put myself into a foxhole 
just to help you out. If you, if I don't have my stuff, my foundation laid first. And so for me, yeah, it's creating those action steps, working those action steps and not letting anything derail me. I like that. So that's, that's kind of like, as, as you were telling me that I was thinking about like um, when you're in the airplane and they tell you to put on like, if, the, if this plane is going down, you need to put on this uh, face mask thing before you put on anybody else. You need to save yourself. You need to participate in your own rescue. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So for you to do that and acknowledging that, like I come first, I can't pour into you and it's all messed up over here. You know what I'm saying? Now, now you're pouring out an empty cup into another empty cup. That don't make sense. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to feel nothing inside of that cup. You know what nope. I'm saying? So um, I absolutely uh, applaud you again, bro, for that. Uh, just understanding, like, I, I need to take care of King first. You know what I'm saying? I uh, I can't really worry about you. When I get me right, then um, I'll holler at you or something like that. But I get it. <clears throat> I get it. What advice is it that you would um, offer to a single dad right now, man, that um, that may be going through it, maybe facing some situations um, at this present moment? Like, uh, you're, you're a single dad, um, you're living that life right now, bro. So what is it that, um, that, uh, you would offer? Ooh, I would say immediately if, if the person, the hardest part about being a single dad is I'm hearing and seeing stories of people having vindictive, significant others. And again, that's something that they can't control. You can't control if somebody wants to come at you sideways about something. So try to insulate yourself from the things that you can't control and focus on the things that you can control. And then also too, I think that there's a narrative out there that single dads don't have rights. Single dads don't have options. Things are automatically in place to be harder for them. I don't think that that's true. I think that you just have to put in that much more work to achieve the goals and outcomes that you desire. For example, every uh, Eva Marcel, Eva Pickford, I don't know if you know who she is. She used to be a model and things like that. She's filing for divorce from uh, a guy. They've only been married for about four or five years. I read the divorce documents because I, I like to say, hey, what do the documents say? And she wants primary, uh, she's requesting primary custody as well as final decision-making for the kids. And I just, something about that, it kind of triggered me a bit because I'm like, okay, maybe uh, uh, he's like he's a successful person himself, but why can't he get the final you know, choice in what happens with, their kids. It's not mm-hmm. just her kids. It's their kids. Absolutely. So the advice that I tell single dads out there, understand what your rights are, understand what your laws are, and put effort and resources into uh, massaging the things that you can control. If somebody wants to be vindictive and things like that, there's really nothing that you can do about that. But you definitely do have the ability to fight so fight so i want to ask this question because it your situation resonated with me and um i think a lot of people could be going through some of the same stuff too 
So once you've been through a divorce, right, and you guys have to deal with uh, joint custody of kids, right, eventually at some point, life does go on, right? So, like, you're going to choose to um, move on with your life. You're a young guy, so I imagine that you're going to go out and date again. She's a young woman. She's going to go out and date again. So tell tell me a little bit about, like, your thoughts around the intricacies of uh, – how that inter- integrates, you know what I mean? So, like, now Ooh. there's someone else involved in your daughter's life. Now there's another guy involved in your daughter's life. Now your ex is seeing you with somebody else and all these other things and stuff like that, right? Um, I, I can share my own personal story as, um, you know, you already know my story being married twice, so I've had to experience that. And um, I would not say that it was the best starting off. And as a dad, you know, it's kind of like... Uh, Kind of a hard pill to swallow for me personally when um that first happened. You know what I'm saying? Seeing someone else with your son and stuff like that. So if you would, bro, um, tell me um your thoughts around that, man. Man, so I think a little bit different. The hardest part, something that I actually had to deal with was in the house, I was the protector. And now I am no longer the protector. So... When my ex had moved out and she had primary physical custody, I had asked if I could have a key in case I needed to get in for something, right? I'm still thinking that protective mindset. She said, sure, initially. And then about a month later, like I never used a key. It was one of those things that I probably would have forgotten that I had had it, right? But then about Two to three months later, she asked for the key back. No explanation. Now, because of me, I don't like conflict. I didn't ask her why, but it was really abrupt. Now, I found out after the fact that the person that she's talking with wasn't comfortable that I had a key. Mm. And something about that even still, initially I was like, wait, what? Like, why is this dude going to trip about something like if... That's just for an emergency only. It wasn't like I was using the key, walking in, hey, man, let me see what she got up in the refrigerator that I can take home. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't understand that. Yet in my mind, like I said, it's more, hey, if I need to go protect my kid, like that's what this key is for. So um, I never asked her about it, but it did bother me. It did bother me. Maybe about a year we had talked about it and she told me, so that's how I found out what the reason was and all. And I'm just like, you know what? Whatever. That's fine. Now, to go a little bit deeper into it. Oh, man. Here we go. I am not so sure. I haven't met the guy. She's. I, I'm assuming that she's still with this guy that she met shortly after we got divorced. In my head... I don't know the certainties of when they got together, but they had known each other while we were still married and kind of on the rocks. And then it was shortly after, actually before the divorce was final, but we were still like living together because our lease had ended, that they had gone out on a date officially. And she came to me and asked me, she said, hey, since we're getting divorced, like that's going to be a thing. How do you feel about us dating and meeting other people? And this was before I knew somebody was even in the picture. Mm-hmm. I told her, I said, look, I don't recommend it. I'd rather it be clean and it's signed and we are officially divorced before other people kind of come into the picture. 
And she fought me on that. She was like, well, if we're going to get divorced, oh, why does it matter? And I'm like, well, why are you asking me then if you want to go that route? I'm like, look, ultimately, I don't care, but this is my recommendation. Now, why do I bring that up? I, I would like to say that anybody else that came into the picture, look, if you're going to be around my kid, I have to um, have the trust that she's not going to bring anybody that's going to be negative around my daughter into the picture. And really, there's not a lot I can do as far as who she picks. The only time that I should be weary or worried is if I have some type of actionable intel or something that says, hey, I have to do something because this person is committing X, Y, Z type of actions. Safety. You know, like, you know, safety and things like that. But if this person is coming over and spending all her money or whatever like that, that's that's none of my business, right? Unless, you know, he's spending all the money and then she can't make her rent or whatever, yada, yada. I it, Even that's kind of tricky because to me, it's like, hey, I'm no longer your husband. I know that you're my kid's mom and your well-being should matter because you're taking care of our daughter as well. Yet, you know, what decisions you make outside of me, that's on you. That's on her. I would like to say that anybody that she got remarried to or whatever, if she did go that route, I would love to have a beer with that person. This particular guy... I'm not so sure if I can shake his hand and have a beer with him because I'm it's it's the stuff that I learned after the fact, right? Then I'm like, ooh, I just I don't like that timing. I I'm still trying to find it in my heart to be able to be okay if an opportunity like that were to come up, to have it come up. I am talking to somebody now. This person is fantastic. I've also told this person I'm never getting married again. Never. I. There is no possibility that I am saying I do. I'm just going to say this very publicly into this camera. All right. I am never being somebody's husband again. So this person knows that my ex-wife and this person has met. She has my ex-wife has told me that she likes this person being around our daughter because she sees a lot of the positive things in her and stuff like that. So having that kind of endorsement is cool. Mm-hmm. Um. And and it's almost made me go, I, well, I wonder if I could be the same way. I think I could be the same with anybody else that's around. But this person, I'm still struggling with trying to be able to be okay with the timing of how they got together in my eyes. I don't know officially, but just mm-hmm. that that timing still kind of iffy for me. And if I'm being honest with you, I don't know if I can overcome that. Yeah, it sounds like um, things don't set right with you, bro. It sounds like um, there could have been some backdoor or some co-mingling going on while the marriage was still present, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> man, uh, you shared a good bit about your opinion on like um, the dating realm and... Um, this person being around your daughter. And I, I, I think that is um, extremely important. And w- what I had mentioned earlier was that like you, you have like no control over something that you, pot- you, you had potential control over it, like in your situation before. And now you kind of have to like roll with the punches. But I, what I thought was key though, is you saying earlier is like, 
guys sometimes think they don't know like um their rights and things like that based off where they live at or whatever state you're in whatever country you're in and stuff like that so it's important for you to like be totally aware and educate yourself on what it is like if i am to get divorced i'm not advocating divorce or anything like that but if you are to get divorced or if you're even to get married, um, understand what the rules is, what the laws is. If you're going to have kids, all those things that's going to be totally involved potentially in these uh, types of situation. Um, but I think uh, you are a big uh, advocate for that as in like, like knowing your laws and knowing all these things. So like if these situations do occur, um, this is what I can do. So if my, my daughter's um, safety is in jeopardy, I could do this. If um, this is taking place, um, my, uh, ex-spouse choose to have my daughter eating beanies weenies or whatever it may be and and uh, have her in like total complete hardship then i could do something about that so i think it's extremely important for you to um be uh educated on that mm -hmm. so my brother you are a air force veteran as you mentioned earlier um you know all of these branches have their um fights or whatever may be amongst each other, but it's still brotherly love, man. And um, I think the Air Force, when I was in Japan, like I used to see like you guys get like all the cool stuff. <laughs> all the cool stuff. <laughs> all the cool stuff, man. So, and I think that was intentional. I think they gave uh, you guys all the cool stuff and the Marines just had to stay rough and hard and like grounded out type of thing, man. But... <laughs> Man, um, tell me, why did you join the Air Force, bro? Um, I, um, I know you joined, but why did you join? Why did you pick that choice opposed to any other branch? Okay, well, great question. <laughs> I was originally interested in the Marines. My buddy and I, he can verify this, uh, Willie Reed. We were going to go into the Marines, into the buddy system. I don't know if they still do that, but back when I was looking at enlisting. They're having a tough recruiting problem right now. Yep, yep. Back when I was looking at and listening, they had this thing called the buddy system. So you and somebody would go through basic at the same time. Now, it's funny because that this is kind of how they hook you. That don't mean you necessarily make it through all the way together at the same time. But it's like you go through basic together. You might get your technical school or whatever the uh, Marines call it through at the same time. But you, you're getting that first initial recruitment process together with somebody who you know. And I went to the recruiter's office. He was about the same size as me. And I put on his dress blues. And through the window were these other young ladies that saw me in the uniform. And, and like, I, I kind of saw their eyes widen up a bit. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm hey, definitely doing this. For you, man. <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> doing this. Well, I went back to my parents because I was under the age of 18 at the time. And I mentioned it to them. And they said, nope, not doing it. Now, my dad was an Army veteran. My mom had siblings who were in the uh, Marines and people who she knew that because of various wars and things, they were battling demons and stuff. And my mom mm -hmm. and my dad didn't want me going going through that. They said, well, if you want to go into the Marines, you're going to have to wait until you're 18. When my college scholarships didn't necessarily work out, I wanted the next best thing that allowed me to travel. So I went to the Air Force because I'm thinking Air Force flying. 
I can do that and go and travel and see the world. Well, little do people know as well, only a small percentage of the Air Force actually flies. And in order to even be like a pilot on the pilot side of flying, you have to earn a commission, be an officer, which means earning a degree, essentially. And I was just coming out of high school, so that would have taken another four to five years. But I did get into an enlisted aviator job, and I was able to pick... I. Hey, pro tip, I scored high enough that I could pick any job, essentially. And I picked the one that had the highest bonus. Didn't even know at the time that other airplanes could refuel airplanes in the air. I was like, wait, in-flight refueling, is that literally what it sounds like? Refueling in-flight? And they said, yep. And at the time, they had an 8,000 sign-in bonus. So Mm -hmm. that's what I chose. You know, Having only flown a couple of times in my youth, I was now doing a job that required me to fly and get paid to lay down and pass gas. <laughs> Depends how you interpret gas these days. There's another slang term for gas too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I like, I'm thankful for that because what that job did is that it put me in the room with people. So my crew position was a pilot, co-pilot and me. So you're talking officer, officer, enlisted, right? These are people that had gone to college, had some type of education, had been to other places and experiences and things like that. And I had a lot of good people around me that encouraged me to do better, be better and things like that. I also I also had an opportunity to go to the Air Force Academy to play football, but I got married and you can't go to any of the service academies with a uh dependent looking back when me and my ex-wife were also going through it that's one of the argument points that i had i was like you mean to tell me i chose you over going to the academy getting a commission playing division one football and this is where this ended yeah don't do that dude i do not advise people to be that petty (laughs) bro Those words came out of my mouth. (laughs) That was at at, at the pinnacle of me being angry. Oh, man. Petty. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yep. So, yep, I chose the Air Force because it allowed me to get out, travel, and see the world, which some people say they joined to travel. Well, I got fortunate enough that I actually was able to travel, and I picked a job that that did a whole lot of travel. Nothing wrong with that, man. If you if you would, bro, um, tell me a couple of places where you travel at, man. I'm interested to know. So I've been to Okinawa, Japan, like you, Korea, Hawaii, Italy, the UK, the Horn of Africa, which is like the top part of Africa. Most of the U.S. states, Turkey, which I still have some like wallets and trinkets and things from mm-hmm. Turkey. And I mean, I've, I've last been to Turkey was like 2005, um, which I, I wouldn't advise people to travel to Turkey now. Uh, man, just about 15 or so on other different countries that I can't even think of. I've forgotten all of the places that I've gone to. That's how many places I've been. Wow. Not including the deployments like Qatar, flying over Afghanistan, Iraq, 
Mm-hmm. Um, actually landed one time in a rock. I will never want to do that again, but we had to pick up something. And you, you talking about being vigilant, brother, let me tell you, you know, and it's just, whew, it, it, it's, it's something that I'm like, yep. But funny story real quick. So you were talking about the services and how things are different. So the airplanes that we fly out of are considered huge assets. So we're not, when we're deployed, we're not in the thick of it like some of the ground personnel are. We'll take off from relatively safe locations. It's like they, there were still threats. And then go fly over Iraq or Afghanistan, come back and land. Well, the base that I was stationed at was considered rest and relaxation or R&R for other branches of services. So there were like amenities on the base, like a Burger King, a pool you could swim in and things like that. Don't think it was still Club Med now, but still better than your outside the wire living intense folks who were troops. I came across this kid who was in the army and he was like looking around just kind of amazed. You could tell he was new. You could tell this was like his first appointment. And I was wearing a flight suit and young enlisted people see a flight suit. They automatically think officer. So he give me a salute and I'm turning around about the salute too, trying to figure out where the officer's at. And he's like, oh, hey, sir, I have a question for you. He's like, yeah, he goes, <laughs> is it true that there's like a, a whole food court here on the base? And I'm like, yes, sir. He's like, wow. So this was a, a Marine who was on his R&R and it was his first deployment. And he was just excited to have a food court. He was excited to have a a pool, you know, that he could potentially go swimming in while he was on this two-week R&R. Don't you know, I saw that same guy about seven years later mm. when I was out. I was looking at him. He was looking at me. And then he came up to me. He was like, hey, man, were you ever stationed at Qatar? Yada, yada. I said, yeah. I said, dude, I remember you. I tell the story of about how wide-eyed you were at <laughs> a base that, you know, I was TDY to, but it was your R&R. I said, man, how was the rest of your service? He said, well, I got injured. Uh, two weeks after that, and he got out on medical and everything. Um, I wouldn't have known it. He, he was missing a uh, leg, but he had on like long shorts and mm-hmm. walking relatively normal for ha- having a leg missing, but he had a prosthetic. So he showed me and I was like, Hey man, I'm glad you're here, you know? And mm-hmm. it was just one of those random happenstance, man. But I, I ran across a kid that saw how the Air Force side was and, he said, man, I, I joined the wrong branch of service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But, yeah, I'm real curious how that dude's doing. I, I wish I would have exchanged numbers with him or something mm-hmm. just to keep up. Because, I mean, it, out of all of the thousands of people that cycle through places from different Small branches world, of service and things like that, man, to see this dude seven years later, I thought was just, just fantastic. Small world. I know that in the Air Force, you guys guys have uh, different mottos, different creeds, and um, your training is uh, different than ours in the Marines. But I would like to know, what did you value the most while you served? And um, what was uh, some lessons that you learned while you served uh, in the Air Force? Man, I'm going to be kind of cheesy here. A lot of the training that we do, I never understood it. Like some of the stuff, like man, we we're training all the time for things, but 
what you don't realize is that the training that you do, it preps you for whatever task that you have coming up to where you don't have to think about it. It's just second nature. Exactly. So what I really learned and developed were habits that I wanted to do so that if things were to come at me in real life with life, I'm not going to be panicking about doing something. I'm going to be a lot more calmer than the untrained person to be able to deal with something. And then I'll worry about trying to calm down and things about it a little bit later on. So just keeping those consistent habits is something that I definitely learned. And also we went through survival school and that's an experience that it was fantastic. Yet I never want to do it ever again. It made me appreciate people who are POWs because they, they put you through it. And Mm -hmm. what's interesting now is that at 38, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know at my current age, if I could do that again, you know, but in my younger twenties, man, it was <laughs> that they put you through it. They treat you like a, you know, for as much as they can, cause it's, it's training yet. They want to put you through the paces because with the mission and stuff that we did, if we got shot down over enemy territory, like they're not going to treat you like it's club man. They ain't going to go, Oh, you're in the air force. So we'll make sure that, you got lunch and dinner ready for you and lunch and evening times. No, uh-uh. they're going to try to get information out of you. They're going to try to leverage you. And that stuff is very real. The, the, the things that happen to, you know, people that get captured by the enemies and stuff. And, but we always train for that. The thing that it helped me do is have a different perspective about life and other people in general, you know, also too, in traveling, we're not hated everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I've been to all these different places. I've, I've met other people. I kind of had facial hair when I was in the service because I had a shaving waiver. So it kind of didn't look like I was in the service. As long as you had general respect for people that like weren't your enemies, people would treat you very well in these other countries. I remember going one time clubbing, waking up in a place that I had no idea where I was at. And the host offered me crepes and a ride back to my hotel and a good place to sleep, man. So, you know, it it, it just having those experiences, keeping those habits, that, that's the stuff that I really value from my time in. I don't know if I would have gotten that as early as I did outside of the service. That's what's up, man. Tell me, tell me, bro, about like... um your experience around like some camaraderie, some brotherhood, um, some of the relationships, some of the bonds that uh, was created for you while I was in. Oh man, my, the bonds and stuff that I've had, for example, man, I still keep up with people from the military and I've been retired since 2010. We're in 2023 right now. Um, As you're time. flying and you're going through the deployments, Flight crews, because it was pilot, co-pilot, and you, you know, y'all are doing these same missions day in and day out together. So you learn about the other person. Some people you didn't really bond with that well. They were loners or they were more about their career than they were looking out for other people. And you learned who those folks were and you handled them the way that you needed to handle them. But I made some really good friendships, people that I call brothers, 
and sisters over the years through survival school, for example. One of the people that I'm real good friends now is this lady named Brooklyn. Brooklyn and I were doing survival school in Washington State in December, okay? You're talking like freezing temperatures, snow, all of that jazz. And in order to stay warm, you got to have your warm uh, stuff there, but like, because you're simulating crashing, you don't have everything like you'd have in a pack per se. So uh, Brooklyn and I didn't know each other. We had just kind of met through some of our training and stuff, had to uh, bring our bodies together to stay warm, <laughs> sleeping at night. Now that's going to make you real acquainted with somebody real quick <laughs> when you're having to help each other Yo. survive and live <laughs> In the woods, right? <laughs> and the reason why I bring her up is Brooklyn and I are still friends to this day. Yet, as we've grown, we have different values. We have a lot of similar values and stuff, but we have this running joke now that with the way I am and with the way she is, we wouldn't even, like, she would have blocked me by now. I would have blocked <laughs> her by now because we don't have similar values as an adult mm -hmm. uh half the time i think she's crazy half the time she calls me crazy but we have those you know that bonding moment that time that we've helped each other out through training and through our careers and things like that 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 we always you know lean on and she knows that she can always call me i can always call her and things we just we see some things different but we're still really good friends to this day. I was just in Florida visiting a guy who was my old supervisor, but he's like he's like family, you know. So anytime I'm down there or anytime he comes up here, he knows that he don't even have to say anything. Just say, hey, man, I'll be around this time or vice versa. And he's like, hey, come on through, man. I got a bedroom for you. I, I, I found that to be um, indicative of everybody who I've been real good friends with throughout my time in the service. Anytime I'm traveling someplace, um, I just say, hey, I'm coming through there. Like, hey, come on, brother, man. Let's swing by, grab a beer. We can chop it up and catch up, even if you hadn't seen or spoke to each other in years. I think that's the beauty of um, between veterans and stuff, bro. Like, It's like a bond. It's a connection. It's a camaraderie. And I, I think it even carries over to the other branches in service, as in I'm a Marine, you're an Air Force guy. And we clicked, you know what I mean? I, I think that's the beauty of um, serving together. <clears throat> you know, so at some point, all of us is eventually going to have to um, get out of the service that we're serving in and um, and step back out into this uh, real life, real world of what's uh, taking place. As I'm asking you this question, I'm thinking about it for myself. Bro, I joined the military at 17, got out at... Uh, after eight years. So, you know, I personally did not have like total responsibilities like that until I got out. You know what I mean? So what was your transition like when you got ready to get out of the military and things like that? Was it easy? Was it smooth? Was it hard? Um, and based off of that, bro, tell me, um, you know, what, uh, what did you do and to uh, acquiesce to um, becoming a civilian? Okay. My transition was 
easy in my opinion. When I got out, I got out because of a heart condition. I have what's called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It means that my heart is thicker than what it should be. Nobody else in my family has had heart disease. It developed over time. Who knows why? But the military at least did take care of me by offering me the care and stuff that I needed post-service. Thank goodness. So it wasn't like I got out and planned for it. Nope. It was, hey, you have this heart condition. You can't stay in. Here's your retirement. Good luck. My commander had offered me a position as a civilian working in the same unit that I had just transferred out of, essentially. Mm -hmm. So that helped kind of ease the transition, albeit temporary. It still allowed me to focus on, well, what what, what is that next step? The military offers what's called Transition Assistance Program or TAPS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. you know, say what you want. I thought TAPS was good, but I think it's about what you seek and what you put out. Like people aren't going to do stuff for you. So I followed the advice and things that they had talked about in TAPS, setting up a LinkedIn, networking with people, going to different events and things like that. And it was using my network that I found out about the current job that I'm in now. So when I got out, I was living in Maryland. I found out about an opportunity for a position that was an intern position, but it was a paid intern position in DC. I had never lived in DC. I had visited a couple of times. I just knew it was crazy expensive, but I jumped on that opportunity to take that intern position And it turned out for me, at least, to be a really good decision. And I'm still doing around that job that I got trained for to this day back in 2013 is when both you and I had got started. And um, for me, the transition was easy, but I followed the steps and the advice of other people. Now, an additional point. Last week, I got a surprise call from somebody who I hadn't spoken to in about two to three years. We're connected on social media, but we haven't caught up or anything like that. He's an E8, which is almost the highest enlisted position that you can get, and he's coming up for chief. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't make his board, he's going to get higher tenure because he's been in around 26 years. He called me and said, hey, man, I have a question for you, and I hope it's okay to ask. And I said, yeah, man, shoot. Now, this is one of my supervisors. I used to go to him about military stuff because he had been in about six years longer than I was. And he said, would you be my civilian mentor? And I kind of took a step back. And I said, yo, first of all, I'm flattered. I'm honored and flattered that you're asking me. You know, this guy's almost the highest enlisted position that you can rank. Right. You know, which means that he's done some stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And he's asking me to be his civilian transition. And he said, well, yeah, man, I figured I see you doing well. You've been out a while now. You kind of have some insight that I don't have because I've been doing this since I was 17, 18, you know, and you uh, could offer me some insight on things that could help my transition be a lot smoother. So To add additional to what your question was, seek somebody else out that had transitioned and ask them to be your mentor. Ask them for advice. That is what I would definitely tell people. I didn't do it. 
But for me, it wasn't necessary. Even I got out and worked a federal job around the same people who I was working with. And even now, my current job, I'm still around veterans all, all of the time. I don't think I've had that transition to full civilian like other people have. Mm-hmm. And that worked for me, but that was also my comfort level too. Like I like being around other veterans. I, I have found that, you know, being around a group of people that understands a lot of the things that vets go through has just been, uh, it's been my jam, so to speak. So I've chose to like stay as close to that as I can. No, I love it, man. And, you know, before we even got started, I told you, I said, um, a big initiative that, um, I'm working on is uh, giving back to the veteran community with um, this Adversity Academy. And um, that was uh, when I lost my job um, in, uh, in Atlanta and I went back to Miami and I started volunteering at the uh, VA hospital. That was one of the, like, the saving graces for me, bro, just being back around in the veteran community and realizing like, oh, there's other guys going through some of the same stuff that I'm going through as well, too. You know, it's not just me. So, uh, Absolutely, man. So a lot of guys will, or people, a lot of people, um, bottle in emotions and they keep those things inside. And you've been through a good bit of uh, things throughout your life, bro, from childhood now to um, your your marriage. Um, you had some experiences uh, in uh the Air Force where your friend um, committed suicide. And I know that you have some other things in between that, that you probably did not share throughout the show. And I wanted to know, did you ever like harbor in or keep inside like some like emotions that you were dealing with um, up to this point in your life? And um, if you did, um, did you release any of those things? How did you release those things? And what led to that transformation in your life if that did occur for you? Wow. So I'm trying to pinpoint one specific thing so that I can give a clear example. Man, there's been a couple of different things. I would say one of the things that I bottled up was feeling like a failure. When my marriage was ending, I'm like, all right, as a man, I didn't navigate this properly or lead in a way. I've been successful in other areas, yet I couldn't make this specific relationship work. And it made me feel like a failure, man. When I got my uh, heart diagnosis, same thing. You know, I was a, a, a an airman. My career was decent. It wasn't stellar, great, or anything like that. But, you know, I also wasn't like bottom of the barrel either. And I had that, that immediate change that kind of made me feel like a failure. I... The mission wasn't complete for me because it didn't go the way that it was intended to. So I felt like a failure. Both times in those instances I just gave, I felt like a failure. And I stewed on it for a while. I stewed on it for a good bit. And eventually, once I got the help through therapy, I started understanding, again, I'm going to foot stomp this because it is vital. Focus on the things that I can control. So yes, my sir. marriage has ended. Now what? It doesn't mean that life has ended, right? So right. I'm not able to be an in-flight refueler because of my heart condition. I'm still living, okay? 
So what is it that I can do that I can make my life more enjoyable going forward and put time, energy, and effort into doing that? You will have temporary things that will hit you from time to time. As long as it is temporary, you can apply things to change that. There's there's a veteran going through something right now. He got diagnosed with ALS about four years ago or so. That's not a temporary thing. He went from being able to walk and doing his own thing to where in order to talk to you, he has to use a cell phone and his eyes to put a text message. I reached out to him the other day just to ask him how he's doing. And he said, I'm not doing well. Okay. I'm not doing well. For the longest time, I didn't know what to say back to him. I sat on that for a while because I didn't know what to say. Right. A lot of the things that have occurred to me that have been temporary, I put into perspective the things that other people are going through. And I said, look, I've got my health for the most part. I'm here. I can get past this understanding that it's temporary and focus on the things that I can control. And that's what I choose to do every single time I have a setback. I take a step. I breathe. This is vital. People don't understand how important breathing is. I, t- I take a second and and for the watchers and listeners, sometimes that may seem like a long time. It's really not, but just that do that a couple of times and then take a logical approach about what it is that you want to get done. That can be the thing that can get you out of whatever you need to get out of and turn things around. I'm also a believer too. don't make an emotional base uh, decision. If you're very emotional about something, take that time, step away, breathe, talk to somebody, do something different than what you're thinking at the moment. Because it is likely an emotional based decision and it could have some bad ramifications down the line. So I'm a big uh advocate for what you said, man. Um I uh struggle with a good bit with um some insecurities a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And um whenever like uh it came to like making some certain types of decisions. Tons of anxiety would be building up and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, it was not until I started like learning like how to relax, how to incorporate some breathing on mechanism into uh, my daily uh, routines. And I saw how beneficial that was. Um, you know, as I got ready, and it's always like whenever I'm trying to do like something new. So like, you know, I'll share with you as I started getting ready to get into this uh, podcast thing, you know what I'm saying? This was a challenge for me. This was me stepping into a new space as I came to you. I say, hey, bro, um, I want to start helping people um, overcome their adversities. And I want to talk to people to um, share their stories to let people that are listening that, yo, I'm going through some of the same stuff, too. You know, and uh, real people out here going through some of the same real stuff that y'all dealing with. And um, as I got into this space, you know, what I'm saying admittedly, I was like, I don't know what uh, God is doing, but he wants me to, to do this. So I'm going to step into this and um, I'm going to go at it full full force, full fledged. And um, there was a bit of uh, hesitation. And I was like, what is it that I need to do to incorporate to get started into this and stuff like that? So like before I get started, I'm praying. I'm doing my breathing mechanism just to come into this uh, session with you, bro, in the right mind and the right space. And um, so I could just execute 
and as close as I, as I can, I would say, man, you, you said that uh, you called up this guy to check on him. And I think a lot of us need to do that, too, with our brothers. And um, I think that's dope. Um, if you have a circle of friends or if you have people that you have not contacted, I think that it's imperative that you check on them, especially if you, if you truly genuinely care about them. You can, put, you can pencil that in, put that in the schedule and just text them, whatever. Hey, how you doing, bro? What I was going to say is um, the next time, bro, if you don't know what to say, man, put me on the line, bro. I get on there with you and we'll chop it up with this veteran. And um, if he's not in a good space, you know, as you said that, you know, you, if someone says that, you know, that's a, a trigger for me, knowing that you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they're thinking. And um, you could be that, uh, that voice that they need. You know what I mean? You never want, I don't know what's going to happen or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? But you never want to be in a situation where something goes south from, um, not taking action when um, you had an opportunity and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. for any time you need me, um, just hit me up, call me up, um, and um, I'll hop on there with you, man. Bet. Thank you. So you've transitioned, right? And now you're on a new mission in life, right? I like to use the word mission as I think us as veterans kind of like um, identify that word. Mission, operation sort of thing. So. You're now a, a business person. You are an entrepreneur. Um, you, you got multiple hustles. Um, before we got out here, bro, um, when I when we met, like we met through fantasy football, and I was like, because uh, I've been ten deep, year, 10, ten years deep into fantasy football because of you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So. I know that, um, man, you, you a guy, I, I've always seen like you, ha- you hustle, bro. You hustle. So if it's a, anything it is, I'm going to hustle. You a lottery game hustler too. Cause like, I remember we, we was at the um, VA and you was like, this is the pot. Y'all want to buy these tickets? <laughs> like y'all want to go in on this? Whatever. Yo, man. Um, Tell me why you got into entrepreneurship and why you got into business, man. Um, I I know that uh, things are going well for you now, bro. So tell me why did you do that? Man, again, I attribute a lot of things to my uncle. I saw him. He started up a recording studio back when I was growing up. And he said he didn't want me to get a job because he wanted me to focus on school. He wanted me to focus on being in the gym and things like that. So I would work for him on the side to kind of get some spending money, right? So that uh, I could at least have, you know, the opportunity to pay for things myself instead of relying on my parents and doing the traditional teenage thing of working a job while in school. And I got the chance to see him hustle, right? This is a guy that had a felony drug possession charge, spent some time in jail, came out and didn't let that stop him. All right. He, he was the person that said, don't let anybody outwork you. Mm. And he used to say it. I mean, just say it all the time, all the time. So now whenever I'm thinking about something and I decide to do something, my mindset is I'm not going to let you outwork me, plain and simple. 
right? When I'm not doing my normal nine to five job, I'm creating content as a content creator, both audio and video. I'm also assisting other people that is looking at getting into this space by helping them edit or having brainstorming sessions and things like that. When I was coming out of my divorce and the money was kind of funny, Uber was a thing. So I said, all right, I have a car. I got time. Let me start Ubering to get my debt handled and settled. And I'm getting off of my nine to five, grabbing me something to eat and then driving for six hours after I get off of my normal job because I had a goal to make, man. So my uncle putting it into my brain, don't let anybody else outwork you. As a kid, that that's always stuck with me from my time in the military to post-military. Whenever I decide to do something, I just give it my all and go all in. And things haven't been great starting out. A lot of it was learning on the fly and things like that. But the best advice that I can tell people is close mouths, don't get fed. Find a mentor. Uh, for uh, 10 people that might tell you no because they don't have the time to be your mentor, you will find somebody that says yes and leverage that person, you know, and um, it's just, it's just, that's always been me. It, it, it's just, you, you aren't going to outwork me. I will outwork you to reach my goal and pivot as necessary to be able to achieve that goal. And I have my, I have my, I have my uncle to thank for that. Absolutely. I think um, in business, you got to be extremely uh, flexible, adaptable, um, as things are going to come at you in shifts and waves. And I think a key thing when dealing with adversity in business is um, leaning towards business did not just get started, right? So you said something important, mentor. So I want you to expound on a little bit like how uh, pivotal was it for you with either mentorship books you may have read that led to like your personal development and professional development uh, when it came to um attacking this uh business space <sighs> man it's so cheesy to say this but people have heard it all at the time knowledge is power knowledge is key educate yourself on what it is that you're trying to do and you can make yourself successful and it can help you out and go a long way. So people have the tools, man. Cell phones are mobile computers and you can find a book, you can contact somebody, you can go to YouTube and watch a video on how to do something. As I was learning how to podcast, man, I Googled and went to YouTube, how to set up a podcast. And I took the hours that it took to learn and try different things out. I often see too many people, oh man, I just, I don't have enough time in the day. I got my family to think about. I got my job. I'm in college right now. And all I say is, man, I hear nothing but excuses. When people start saying excuses, Mike, I tune out. And the reason why I tune out is because of that work, hard work. Now, bro, you can listen to things as you're driving to your yeah, job. that's a fractured mindset, bro. Yep, yep. And 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 I don't do that fractured mindset because I'm like, where well, there's a will, there's a way. You don't have the will, so you can't find the way. 
All right. And that's fine. If you just don't complain about it to somebody like me that I'm going to say, hey, I stayed up learning Spanish because I'm trying to be fluent in it. You know, Mm -hmm. como, como te llamas. All right. Uh, you know, uh, 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 all of that jazz. You know, Wagwan, uh, wa my guy. Like, you, know, on, brother. <laughs> you know, and, and and you can take the time to learn this stuff if you've got the will to do it. If if you make an excuse, I'm telling you right now, that's you telling yourself you're not really ready, and that's okay. When you are really ready. To learn when you are really ready to seek that knowledge, you'll make the time to do it. <laughs> hey, man, as we get ready to get out of here, bro, um, what are some key takeaways that our listeners could take from your story, from your message, from your transformation um, that they could uh, take action on and put into their lives now or in the future? If you are indeed living life, you are going to have setbacks. I can't think of a person or a situation. Even Jeff Bezos is going to come across something that is going to set him back because he's out here living life, not just managing a multi-billion dollar company. You know, he's a living human being, right? As you have these setbacks, understand that you're not the only one going through it. I am going to foot stomp this and talk about it until I'm blue in the face because there's other people going through whatever it is that you're going through as well. Closed mouths don't get fed. Open your mouth. Ask for help. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make it all, you know, I have to ask for help. So that doesn't mean that I was strong enough. No, a strong person is somebody who recognizes where they're deficient at. And they ask for help. And I, I even felt bad saying deficient because deficient makes it seem like lacking. All right. No, 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 no. Life happens. People have strengths and weaknesses. Your strengths are going to be different from my strengths. Things that I'm not good at is going to be different from things that you aren't good at. Don't compare yourself to others. Open your mouth. Ask for help. And you will find that people are willing to take the time to help you out. I 100% co-sign with you, bro. Enough said on that, man. Hey, man. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for giving some wisdom, some knowledge um, here on this uh, Overcoming Adversity podcast platform. You know, I just want our audience to always hear real-life people, real-life story, and letting them know that... um, we are no different than you. All of us are facing adversities. It's just a matter of how you deal with it and how you face it. Before we get out of here, man, um, how can people work with you, get in contact with you, um, and any parting words you want to add to that too? Yeah, sure. So you can find me on pretty much all social media platforms at the actual King Smith. One place that does have all of my links to get in contact with me is linktree.com slash the actual King Smith. It will have Instagram, LinkedIn, my email address, all of that stuff. I am an open book, okay? I may not be somebody that have a lot of clout and is famous out here in these streets, but I'm a real person like everybody else. So if you have any questions, if you just want to reach out and 
connect if you're around the DMV area and want to grab a beer and just talk shop, hit me up. I've had some people actually do that and I've made some pretty good connections of people just saying, hey, bro, I heard about you here. I'm going to be in your area. Are you down for drinks on me? I will always say yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, um, as we get ready to bounce, one last thing I would say, man, I want to give a, another thank you. Um, man, you've uh, helped me get started in this podcast game. You um, helped me move. I'm not sure if you remember that. Um, yes, no. Nah. <laughs> hey, you offered me a free trip to Florida. I said yes. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> hey, this is my guy, man. This is my bro, man. He came through, shared some game. And um, much respect to you, man, for what you're doing. Um, I just wish you nothing but success, man, with all your endeavors, brother. I'm your host, Michael Allison. This is the Overcoming Adversity podcast. We signing out, me and my guy. Mr. Actual King Smith. Peace. Peace. Can't complain at all. Couple dollars in my pocket, no income and go. Been working on my body, getting healthier. Thank God for clarity.